Welcome to Fred Basin's Diaries, read here by Clive Farahar. This is a book collector podcast sponsored by Adrian Harrington Rare Books of Tunbridge Wells. Fred Basin's Diaries, Part 4 Book News the Life of Lord Rosebery by the Marquis of Crewe is to be published in two volumes next year by J. Murray. Why? It will probably be two vols, nine by five and a half inches, 600 pages, handsomely bound and around two pounds. The posher libraries will gamble on a few and the Marquis will buy up all the rest to give all his Aunt Fannies and Uncle Augustus and all for Christmas gifts and eventually I shall get a few remainder copies at one and sixpence each to sit upon, to make my seat higher, as I list sellers that sell. Oh, so many, many of these lives just don't sell. They print 2,000 copies, and if 500 sell, it's a miracle. 1931. Signed agreement and contract for my book, Gallery Unreserved, today, and got a £2 advance, and OK for the mall bibliography. It'll be ready by June. Me, an author in June. I'm seated at this desk doing my diary and at a loss quite what to record. Baroness Auxey is coming to tea next week, but then again she may not. Engagements permitted. I recall Madame Tetrazzini, the old girl with the canary voice, writing me once, Engagements permitted. I will sign your photograph of myself at three precisely. And my reply, Engagements permitted. I shall be there at three absolutely. And when I got there, she wasn't there. I waited, and at five past she arrived. She'd been to wash her hands. Well, even the famous have to do that. As I await customers, if any, I glance at the shelves. No Shakespeare, not a single volume. Did I ought to be ashamed? I feel that most folk get their belly full of Scott, Shakespeare and Wordsworth at school. Then it's not for me to tempt them with more. The shelves look rather untidy, and there are gaps. But I made the gaps myself to lead folks to think that all the gaps are recent cells and that they're just in time, or the lot will be gone. I do not care for bookshops with tightly packed shelves, like a line of soldiers. Gaps and odd sizes lead to a friendly atmosphere, and that's what a shop like mine needs, warmth. I always smile and welcome a client. I do not say, what do you want? But can I help you? It means the same, but it's nicer. There's a nice row of Richard Jeffreys. No one in Camberwell will buy them, but I think Bows and Bows of Cambridge will jump at them. I see six by Mrs H Ward and two by Mrs H Wood. They're only sixpence each, six shilling editions, and we won't be here long. Did I tell you of the woman who offered to scrub my floors and shake my one mat in exchange for our keebles, Simon called Peter? I let her. It's not been scrubbed for weeks and weeks. Two shillings the book I got for a nice clean shop for two shillings. Both of us satisfied. Hope she calls again. My little shop is in New Church Road, Camberwell, SE5. It's ten minutes walk from my home in Woolworth. I get to the shop by passing through Albany Road over Well Street Bridge, which crosses over the Surrey Canal, which should have been filled in by Camberwell Council years ago. The canal is seldom used and is smelly. All the dead dogs and cats are thrown in it. Once, in 1920, I saw a youngish woman throw herself in it. She was tall, a fine woman of around 37, 
I couldn't swim. I've never been able to do so. So I shouted out loud and a public house owner at the corner of the canal bank came running up. He jumped in. She fought him and wanted to get drowned and nearly drowned him as well. I kept on yelling and a couple of men and a woman came running from the other side of the canal over the bridge to where they were. It was very deep in the extreme centre of the canal, but at the sides they're not more than about four feet deep. One of the men got into the water at the side and the publican, who had knocked the woman out, got her to the man at the edge and between us all we got her onto the bank. Now when the woman came round again, she kept crying that she wanted to die and it took the men all their time to stop her throwing herself in again. She had been very nicely dressed in stylish black and had a nice row of pearls and rings on her finger. She didn't look poor at all or ill. There were bits of weed and stuff from the canal all over her and she looked in a mess, but she looked quite an healthy woman. One of the men went to the pub and got her some brandy or whiskey in a glass and one of the women tried to comfort her. It turned out that the woman's baby had died, and that her old man had turned against her, and said it was her fault, and now he'd left her and she wanted to die. And it occurred to me then that we was all trying to make her live, and I'm sure she wanted to die, and had nothing more to live for. And I thought, well, hick, it's her own life she's trying to take. What are we putting our noses into her business for? And so I left them to get on with it, but I did think at the time that her old man must have found a proper glamour bit of stuff in order to leave this jolly handsome woman. I was about thirteen at the time. I remember it so well because it was the first time I think I saw a woman cry. The next time was a couple of years later, and that was when a bloke was bashing a woman in a little alley off East Street, Walworth. And he had her up against the wall of a church, of all places, and he was bashing her in the belly, and she was moaning and crying and he was a big bully bloke of nearly twelve stone. I couldn't do anything at all, but I ran fast, and at the corner of East Street I found a copper. The only time so far I've found a copper when wanted, and he came back with me because I said the woman was being killed. He didn't hurry, no how. But when we got back, the woman was nearly out, moaning a bit and holding her belly. The bloke was walking up Bronte Place. I told the copper that was the bloke, and the copper ran and caught the bloke. The bloke called the copper a bastard. Of course he might have been, for all we know, but you don't call coppers bastards if you've got any sense. The bloke said, If you take that uniform off, I'll fight you. And the copper did. And they had a lovely fight, and me and five other blokes watched it. It was lovely. Only the copper got a black eye and had to resort to a few tricks to keep the other bloke company. And in the end, the copper gave him a lovely kick right in the right place and laid him out, and then blew his whistle. I didn't wait no more, but I reckon that bloke got a nice pasting when they got him to Carter Street, and deserved it. And here's me remembering all this when I wanted to record something of interest on my bookshop, and I filled this page. Walter Scott's Guy Mannering, first edition 1815 Edinburgh, in three volumes, in neat half-calf, made £5.10 shillings under the hammer. Three cheers. This cost me three and sixpence. When all's paid, I shall make four quid. It's my first find for years. No more work for me this week. It's very queer the number of people today who pay 7 and 6 to 15 shillings for a first edition or a modern novel and never read it. They're buying them solely as investments. They say to read them will blemish their investment. But how do they know that it's a good investment unless they've read them? I've just sold five Aldous Huxley novels, brand new, 
and the man says he's not intended to read them, nor has he ever read a book by Aldous Huxley. Some people are potty. Do clothes make a difference? I'm now 24, and since I was 15, I've always worn a cap. I just ate trilbies because they seem to make my head sweat and ache. Today I bought a black cap for three and sixpence in Walworth Road because Arnold Bennett is dead and I feel I've lost a friend. I wanted to attend his memorial service this afternoon and it's respectable to wear black when a friend has passed over. I'll go to the service and am barred. The man at the entrance says I'm not properly dressed. I say Bennett was a friend of mine and I wish to pay my best respects. He says no. Up comes John Brinkwater, and he knows me. I quickly explain. I go in, and I sit next to John Brinkwater in the front row. And the man who barred me looks daggers, as if he could kill me. Do clothes really make any difference on these sad occasions? Isn't it how one feels rather than how one dresses? When I came out, a reporter asked me who I was. And I said, no one. And he said, I thought so in that cap. Blast the bloody cap. I paid three and a tanner for it and burnt it that night. The bibliography of the writings of W.S. Morn is published this day and the press has sent me five quid in cash, advance and six copies of the Ordinary Limited and one of the Deluxe. I shall give John Drinkall to the Deluxe as he has been kind and friendly to me and has expressed a wish for a copy. They all sold out before publication. And Cooper tells me that 256 of the ordinary edition have been ordered as well. I've just written to Maul my thanks and have autographed some copies. Oh, it's such a thrill. But what was a red-letter day in my life was marred by the complete indifference of both my mother and father towards my book. They didn't take the slightest notice of it. This made me cry. Am I a man or a sissy to cry at 24? I was so disappointed I wanted praise. I got none. I do not think I will show them any more of my successes or failures. They are past my age, 60 to my 24, but they don't understand me because I am the only author in Walworth. The neighbours think I'm a freak and shy of real work. My God, how I've sweated over this writing. I've written a book called Gallery Unreserved with Willie Morm obliging with a nice forward. Priestley has praised it in the Evening Standard, Top of the World. Feeling famous. I gets a fan mail letter, care of my publishers, from a lady who says she's also a patron of the gallery and would dearly love to meet me and chat over this and that. I'm in funds. I'll do it in style, I says to myself. So I writes and I invites her to have dinner at a posh hotel where I'll get a slap-up good dinner at a reasonable price. The girl turns up on time. She has a neat little parcel in her hand. We go towards the hall where they eats and she stops and says, Hadn't you better book a room? A room, I says. Well, ain't we going to stop the night? What the hell, I says. I invited you to have a little dinner. Eat, she says. I know what men are. Look, I've come prepared. I've brought my nightgown and comb and toothbrush. I told her where she could put all three and left her right there and then flat and I ain't seen her again. That was part four of Fred Basin's Diaries, brought to you by The Book Collector. It was read by Clive Farrahar and sponsored by Adrian Harrington Rare Books of Tunbridge Wells. 
if you enjoyed it? Why not consider subscribing to The Book Collector, a quarterly journal in print and online for all those who take pleasure from books? Thebookcollector.co.uk has all the details.